I want to talk about three words that some people like, some people don't like. It's driven my leadership the last year, and it's these three words of conviction, capacity, and calling. And, and I, I know you, we can play with these words, and we can go a thousand different directions with them, and with any illustration, there's always a bad side of the illustration. So just go with me, because it's as smart as I can be, okay? So conviction, um, I ask this of our church, and I ask this of us individually. Church, what are you convicted about? Conviction's a deep thing. What are you convicted about? And as a church, what are we convicted about? The only way we're going to know that is if the Holy Spirit's prodding us and waking us up and keeping us awake at night. Like, we're convicted. And I've watched a lot of us go through moments where we're trying to discern what God's asked us to do, and it's, we, we know, like, God's convicting us. There's usually sweat, lack of sleep, like, who knows what's happening, but it's a deep passion in us. As an individual, what are you convicted for and about? And as a church, it gets even harder. we got to look at a corporate and go, God, what are you convicting us as a church to move for? Conviction is a very important word. The next word is capacity. And capacity, where you are convicted, you will create capacity. Done. Period. Capacity is not a word that we just throw out and use as an excuse saying, well, I don't have the capacity to do it. If God is convicting you of something, you may not right now in this moment have the capacity, and you may need to start changing your schedule and your finances and your lifestyle and whatever else to gain the capacity to mirror and to align with your conviction. But church, when I say capacity, no way can you hide behind the word capacity as an excuse. If God is calling you and convicting you of something, capacity is not your excuse. If you are convicted about something, you will create capacity for it. End of the story. And so church, I ask us as individuals, what are you convicted about? And how can you align your capacity to go ahead and move in that conviction? And if you have conviction and you have capacity, you got a calling. You you, you got a calling. And the calling is your legacy It's your joy, because it's a joy. If you know Haiti and you know April, it's her joy to love on Haiti. She's convicted about it. And I just have a feeling that we're going to hear more about Haiti in the future. It's going to look different, but it's her joy. She's convicted for it. What's your joy? What are you convicted for? And it's your legacy. And in a a greater biblical sense, your conviction is the way that you bring heaven to earth. It's it. It's not walking just casually and apathetically through life. It's waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, convict me. And when you're convicted, you're bringing heaven to earth the only way that you can. That's super exciting to me. And as we're talking about Haiti and rearranging our finances and asking what we're convicted about, this is a great time to hit a pause today. And we're going to talk about our tithes. We're going to talk about our offerings Because I believe oftentimes our tithes and our offerings and where we put our money and our time and our resources is a reflection of our convictions. So I hope, church, we're convicted about God, the church, the Holy Spirit, and we're leaving a legacy behind us that's greater than any temporary joy that we're going to find today in this earth. Amen? With that, I ask the public speaker, the renowned, the all-astounding, the uh, CrossFit of all CrossFitters, Jack Mount, 
to come up, and he's going to give us his heart on giving. And so would you please give him a round of applause, because if not, he will beat you up. You're on. As Aaron said, this is one of those subject matters that, you know, it, I can't do anything but say that it's near and dear to my heart. And uh, because, I'll be honest, how many people read the Bible on a regular basis? I'm going to tell you that I've had more than one conversation with pastors because to me, they leave out one great big huge chunk of the Bible. And you know what that's about? It's, it's spoke about over 2,000 times in the Bible. And that's money. Why is it that we forget or we don't talk about money or pastors just are adamantly opposed to talking about money in church today? I'm going to tell you, I disagree wholeheartedly with that. And the main reason for that is just because, you know, God put it there for a reason. Because it can be, like any other thing in this world, a point of contention or a, just like alcohol or something that we become addicted to. It's ours. It's ours to deal with. It's ours. But wait a minute. Did God not give us everything that we have today? Did God not put us on this earth to serve him, to do his will in our lives today? Absolutely. So why is it that we always love to take this one subject and say, nope, this one's mine. I'm going to put it in my pocket and nobody else gets to really ever find out about it. Early on in my walk of faith, and I can tell you that it happened, uh, I had a grandmother and she used to preach to me every time I walked in the door to her house and she would be preaching all kinds of things to me. And I was like, Dad, hurry up. We got to go. I need to get out of here. And it is not happening soon enough because she's got some new scripture she's going to give to me. Well, in uh, April of 1999, I got saved. And in short order after that, I began to understand what God had been doing all those years. And God had been using those words to put that little prick in my mind and that little prick in my heart about where he had us to go and what we had to do in life. And so when I, as I started to develop through and walk in my walk of faith, and then I would hit those trouble times, I would call my grandmother and just so that she would pray for me because I'm going to tell you, there are certain people in this world it's like they got that, that little red phone right there and they can pick that sucker up and they can call and they got this direct line to God and to Jesus and they, they're just special. And if you have one of those in your life, cherish it, cherish it, cherish it. But I would call my grandmother and I'd say, Grandmother, you know, life's tough, money's tight, don't know how I'm going to do it. I got, two, I got three kids and... Money's short. How's this all going to work? And she'd go, well, I'm going to ask you the first question. Did you pay your tithe? (laughs) What? What are you talking about, pay my tithe? I got all these kids to worry about. I got all this stuff to worry about. And as life went on and life went by in my world, it was the most profound thing 
Why was I going to trust everything else to God? My marriage, my children, but I wasn't going to trust our money to God. I'll be honest with you. It was the greatest, most profound moment in our marriage and in our lives and in our kids' lives when I decided that that was God's too. That was going to be the most critical portion of our marriage is that everything, everything is God's. There are two scriptures that I carry around, one of them which is in my wallet and has been with me for over 20 years. And it's kind of ironic because uh, it's 1 Chronicles 4.10. And I don't know how many of you have read Chronicles, but it's like everybody's heritage series of through the seven tribes, who begot who. It's uh, having had Bible studies with uh, Kendall before. It's his favorite part of the Bible. But it has this one little spot, and this one little spot says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldest keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. So, and the reason that one became so profound to me in my walk is because it is one of those times and those places where God pulled out in this one little spot where Jabez had this one little prayer. What a profound moment. The only thing that he was ever talked about in all of the Bible was this one sentence. And why was that? And I think there's a lot of theories, but mine became one of he trusted it all. He was willing to do what God had intended him to do, and that included giving it. You can go through lots of different scriptures. There's as I mentioned, 2,300 different times. But if you walk, if you look at what, how Jesus pulled out two different people in the New Testament, the widow and the rich man. The widow gave it all with her two mites. The rich man would not, was not willing to give any of it up so that he could walk with Jesus. So how do we have that constructive walk in our lives and in our hearts and in our joys of our marriage and our friends and our friendship if we still want to hold on to this one little thing and it's all about us. It's not possible. So my thing to you is why are you robbing yourself of the opportunity to have the joy in your life of being a giver of what God blessed you with in the first place? by trying to make it yours. Now, it is our responsibility to take care of what God gives us. I'm not taking that away, and it's not like it's going to turn on like a faucet, but to those he can trust most, he gives much. To those he can trust least, he gives little. And I can tell you from our family's experience, in 1998, 99, when Kale was born, I made $6 an hour cutting steel. I had a college education. Today, I make that, what I made in a month, I make in a day. But it doesn't matter because it's all God's and it's what I'm here to do today on this earth, in my opinion, is I want, my whole goal is to support ministries that are youth-oriented. And Aaron and I have had 
many, many a conversation about this. Whether it's YFC, whether it's Young Life, whether it's Dayspring, whether it's here in the church. But the thing about it is, is that we always got to remember who gave it to us, who blessed us with it, and how are we going to use it for his kingdom? Because if we're not, then I'm going to tell you it's just going to become one of those subject matters in your life that is that needle that always pricks at you. So that's my short story. But thank you, Aaron, for the opportunity to speak about it. Awesome. Thank you, Jack. That took guts, so he has more guts. I gave it to him. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. Um, we're actually going to only cover five verses because I think this message is actually really short. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 is real, or 7 is really what we're covering. And this is a letter to the church written by the leaders of the church. And I think it really lines up with what God is asking us today in our hearts and in our lives and as church project, what it means to us. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7 is what we'll look at. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy with their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I pause right there and say, does that remind us at all of one of the words I talked about? Capacity? Look at that. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They created, they created a capacity for what we'll see in a minute is their conviction. In verse 3, for I tested that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on, the, on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. Pause. What? When was the last time you urgently pleaded to give money to the church or to be part of a cause. You're like, please, let us give. Let us be part of it. Let us give our life for this. Does that sound like conviction to me or to you? To me, it sounds like conviction. Like they were so convicted that they're urging the apostles and the disciples to give more out of their capacity, even the capacity that they lacked at times, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. It was a privilege to serve the Lord for these people. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And here we see this is their calling, to excel in everything and every part of who God is and how they live their lives in reflection of being little God on earth. They have this calling you see their conviction, you see their capacity. Now, for the sake of time, I'll stop right here, but I think you need to go home, and I think you need to read verses 8 through 15, because it also talks about being wise about what you're giving. Not to give to the point where you're giving more than you actually can give as well. And so read that on your own. We'll, we'll move on past there. 
because I, I want to end with a couple things today. One is, it is our highest, as individuals and as church project, it is our highest and of utmost importance to continually consider where God is moving and join him there. I'm going to say that again because it can be overlooked as a simple statement. Like it is our highest and utmost importance to continually consider where God is moving moving and join him there. As we read about last week in the passage in Acts, Paul had to consider where it was going and God shut the door and he had to turn this way and go this way. Daily, we have to consider what God is asking us to do, how to live our lives, where to give our time, where to give our resources. We have to consider daily. And the cool thing about change is change brings about worship if you have the right perspective. If you wake up and you know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and asking you to change, as followers of Christ, the only thing we can do is fall on our face and say, I've never been there, and I've got to worship you, and I've got to trust that what you're changing in my life, God, you will bring it to completion. And church, that is super encouraging to us, isn't it? I also want to say this. Hitchhikers become the givers of rides. And if you know what I mean, if you've ever had to hitchhike, next time you see a hitchhiker, you're compelled to pick that hitchhiker up and give him a ride because you've been there and you've done that. I'll just let you ride on that thought for a little bit. The church is the carrier of the gospel message. We're taking this tomorrow morning to places that we've never been. May we never forget where we've come from, broken, hitchhikers, in need of a savior. May we never as people forget that. And may we wake up trusting that God is going to change our future and our daily lives every day as we focus on him. And may we forget to never pick up, pick up the hitchhikers along the way, because we once were. The church is the greatest carrier of the gospel message Our ministry partnerships are carriers of the gospel message. All the ministry partnerships we have are taking the gospel messages to places you physically can't go to, and we need to continually reflect on how we are doing it as a church and let our convictions be reflected in who we are partnering with. Church Project has a couple words that drives us, biblical, simple, relevant. Simple, why simple? Why is that there? And I say this in the context of today, we're simple so that we can have a complex impact. We need to evaluate our ministry partnerships. And like today, we had to minimize one, and it breaks my heart, and it means that we can have a greater impact in the ones that we're moving forward with because of a Holy Spirit change. I want to, real quick, crew... Kendall Brazelton, if you'll stand up, crew. Uh, Kendall Brazelton is a liaison for crew. Crew is providing students an environment to investigate, explore, and grow in Christ. And if you've been part of crew, you know we bring a lot of college students come here from crew. That's amazing. Um, Dayspring, Weston Kerr's, wherever you're at, if you'll stand up. He's our liaison for Dayspring. And Dayspring is educating and training students to serve the world for the glory of Christ. 
Amen. My daughters are, are, are recipients of that. Thank you, Weston, for continuing to lead this charge at Dayspring. Another one is Waypoints. William, um, where are you at, Will, Reno? He is our liaison for Waypoints. Waypoints is helping men and women and children experiencing homelessness in Weld County. It's another church in Greeley we're partnering with. Um, FCA, David Curry is in Iowa. He's our liaison for FCA. And FCA is the heart and soul in sports. That's pretty cool. I like that. The heart and soul in sports. Young Life, Ryan Doherty is a liaison for Young Life. Young Life introduces adolescents to Jesus and helping them grow in their faith. We love Krista. We, we love Young Life and, and Ryan leading the charge. And then we have Youth for Christ, which is Bill and Carrie Oaks. They are our liaisons for Youth for Christ. They're killing it. Youth for, Youth for Christ is meeting with young people who need Jesus, and they are our liaisons there. These are our ministry partnerships. This is where if you give a penny of your money to Church Project, it's going to these ministry partnerships, and it's taking the gospel to places you physically can't go. And church, we're going to continue to give to these ministry partnerships financially and relationally. I hope you like being part of this charge. It's a big charge, and it's something that God has called us to do in Greeley. I'm going to end with this. How many of you have Instagram? All right, there you go. So pull out your phone and follow, what's his name? Aussie Dave, A-U-S-S-I-E Dave. It's pretty cool. Every day I, I, I go to Aussie Dave and I read his post and he calls himself social media pastor. Sounds like an amazing job. I want this. Like, great. He travels all around the world, takes pictures, and then posts something about his picture. And I've been reading him for months and months He's super profound and pretty pro prolific in scripture. He knows his Hebrew. Like, I want to meet this guy. I'll meet him one day, okay? Maybe we'll have him come speak. But I want to read you today's, today's post for his Instagram. And I would encourage you when you're following him, read tomorrow's or yesterday's because yesterday's was really good too. Every day is good. But I think today is a good way to end our, our gathering today by reading Aussie Dave's Instagram. Terrible accent. If you're facing turmoil and chaos today, I want you to know that you're not alone. In the time of Jesus, the Israelites viewed the sea, S-E-A, as the place of chaos, as the abyss where evil dwelt, which is why some theologians believed as few as 20 fishermen worked the Sea of Galilee during the time of Jesus. Anyone who chose to live and work on the water was considered to be courageous and also slightly crazy. I mean, they got up each day and did the physically demanding work of fishing, and they also had to have the emotional and spiritual courage to walk into the place of chaos and terminal, turmoil every day. Yet, of his 12 disciples, Jesus chose five fishermen. I believe that's because Jesus chose people who had the courage and strength to face chaos. I believe that was true in the first century, and it's true today. If you're walking up to chaos today, if you're facing turmoil in your life, then as you read these words, 
may you be encouraged by knowing that you are the sort of person Jesus chooses to follow him. Jesus believes you have what it takes to confront your chaos with him. And then he ends in this Bible verse. Mark 1.17, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And church, may we fish for people with all our might. May we be super convicted in the places and spaces that he's put us and may we create all the capacity needed to leave a joy, to leave a a legacy and to bring heaven to earth. This is what I want to be a part of. Singly, I can do something in life. Corporately, we can push back the gates of hell. This is the church I want to be a part of. A hard message today. I trust that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. You're creating capacity that all your resources, yes, your money, your time, your talents, all of that, is backing what you're convicted about. Today, if you have a kid in Project Kids, give that volunteer a high five and a big hug because they missed this and they were serving. Um, Continually and and continually and faithfully give of your tithes and your offerings. We're doing big things and we want to do bigger things. Trust God in this. Don't miss the joy, as Jack was talking about, with, uh, 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 about missing the joy of not giving your money. Like, follow that. And then I'll say this in closing, and I think we should probably be done. We'll see you at House Church on Tuesday or Wednesday. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for the past. We also thank you for the future. Um. Be gracious with our hearts and with our mind. Let us be willing to let go and trust you with today and tomorrow. And God, when you bring change to our life and when you ask great things of us, may we move. And may we be a people and may we be a church that moves when you say move. And may that cause all of us to fall on our face and worship you because you never change. You're yesterday, today, and tomorrow. May we lock eyes with you as you call us and show us how to fish for people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.